everybody. Welcome back to the Music Buds podcast. This is episode number 34, and my name is Henry. This week, I'm honored to be joined by composer Wilbert Roger II, known partly for his extensive work in video games, including Call of Duty World War II, Mortal Kombat 11, Guild Wars 2, Path of Fire, and many others. Well, it is so nice to meet you, and I, you know I've loved these games and this music for a long time, so thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, how's life? Eh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like the default answer everyone's given. No, it's cool. I mean, like, um, kind of what's going on now is I'm juggling a, a ton of projects simultaneously, which uh, is cool because it's a lot to, you know, I, I can switch gears quite quickly, but um it's also slightly terrifying, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I am excited. You know, the uh, especially um, I have some un- unannounced titles in the works that hopefully will um, be announced soon, so I can finally, after like two years, talk about some <laughs> of the stuff I've been working on. Sweet, dude. Well, uh, first of all, or, or uh, I-, I guess just jumping in, um, how did you get started as a composer? Was music something you had had always wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I don't don't know how... I'll try to go fast. I'll go fast. Oh, no, I mean, you you, you got time. You got time, man. (laughs) Well, you know, I I started playing classical piano, I think, when I was like four years old. I started taking lessons. I'm pretty sure that I was a very exceptionally annoying kid. My parents just wanted to get rid of me. They're like, please, take this kid. Take him somewhere. And so, like, yeah, I started taking piano lessons way, way back when. And... um, that kind of laid the foundation, obviously. And uh, I didn't really have any interaction with video games until late in middle school, Hmm. uh, at which point I discovered Mortal Kombat and Final Fantasy. And I think that Final Fantasy VII is the game that that sort of told me, like, hey, I want to write video game music. Right. So from then, uh, I did a lot of transcription. I mean, like, this was you know, way back in the year 2000 before we even had like MP3s. So if you wanted to listen to your favorite tracks from your favorite video game, you had to find the MIDI file (laughs) that some basement dwelling nerd had transcribed note for note. And I was one of those basement dwelling nerds who got to that point in the game and, and hit record on the cassette player and, and, you know, took it down note for note in general MIDI. Yeah. Uh, But that's really what taught me, I think, uh, how to write, um, uh, it's a, it's such a great uh, skill to develop, I would say, transcription, which is unfortunately not a lot of people do it anymore. But yeah. um, I highly advocate that for anyone learning composition. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after that, I took on a lot of indie and mod projects, writing original scores for those games uh, throughout high school and college. Um, I went to Yale University for college music degree. Nice. And Afterwards, I joined uh, the Game Audio Network Guild and started going to Game Developers Conference. And eventually, I got hired to do music music editing at LucasArts. And I worked there for about five years. Um, started off the music editor and eventually taught myself the technical aspects of like music implementation in games. And I sort of tricked my way into writing for Star Wars The Old Republic. Oh, yeah, it's a uh, classic. As, uh, yeah, as the story goes, um, I overheard that uh, they needed an extra composer uh, for the Old Republic because of some deadlines getting shifted or whatever. And uh, 
that very night, I just went home, wrote a demo piece, came back the next day and kind of forced them to listen to it. And uh, <laughs> long story short, uh, I ended up writing about an hour of music for the game. Wow. That was kind of my first time writing, uh, well, one of my first times writing for a, a solid AAA title. Uh, and then finally, after LucasArts went down, I kind of went independent and uh, scored um, Lara Croft, Temple of Osiris, and uh, uh, Guild Wars, and, and um, Call of Duty, uh, and Mortal Kombat, and so on. Yeah. Well, uh, with like a, a game like the uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, what is it like doing a game like that? Because obviously it has mm. such a huge uh, player base, and the world itself within the game is so big. What was it like doing music for a game like that? Because I feel like it was such an open canvas. It could be both exciting, but also a little intimidating. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Like, uh, so there were five orchestral composers on the project. Hmm. Uh, Mark Grisky was the lead composer. Uh, he had written Star Wars Force Unleashed and the KOTOR 2, I believe, the, like the Xbox game, um, the original KOTOR and uh, then there was Lenny Moore and Gordy Have and Jesse Harlan and myself. And uh, it was interesting because here's five different composers, right? Mm. And it's all getting played by the same orchestras, all the music we were writing. But there were five very different interpretations of Star Wars, very different interpretations of the John Williams Star Wars kind of sound. You had folks like, um, I think Gordy was probably uh, aiming for the closest, most John Williams-y um, traditional sound. And then Mark, he kind of has his own more kind of aggressive and um, he, he just has such a unique way with with harmony and and he's a percussionist himself. So you can hear that kind of, rhythmic drive in everything he does right uh, and then lenny is very classical or romantic it's almost like we've resurrected beethoven for some of these cues <laughs> and had him write for a video game and it's like okay back to sleep you know, you know. yeah and uh you know jesse and i we were the in-house uh, lucasarts composers so we almost were like kind of an amalgam of all of the above to kind of pull everything together i had a lot of back then i had a lot of like taru takamitsu influence in my okay. writing and orchestration yeah. and so that definitely made its way in um and uh yeah it was it was interesting because it's a very diverse soundtrack i think seven hours no maybe not seven but a, a ridiculous amount of music in that game and uh the nice thing about star wars is that there's so much star wars music now that john williams has written it, it's almost impossible to find something that he hasn't done. Right. Canvas so is quite quite large. There's very few rules out there as far as Star Wars music goes. So in a way, it wasn't perhaps as intimidating as you might think. And we had such a great team. You know, we had, we were recording in uh, in Bratislava, and of course at Skywalker Sound, and uh, we had great uh, orchestration, mix engineer, conductor. Everything was like as good as it gets. So I I wasn't I wasn't terribly worried that it would you know, sound bad. And, and of course, like right. the other composers are all legends. So yeah. if I snuck in with some crappy music, then no one would notice because <laughs> <laughs> so right. it wasn't, it wasn't quite, quite as intimidating as perhaps you might think. Sure. Now uh, it's just a kind of a quick curiosity. Do you with project to project, are you always recording at different places or does it often mm. kind of fall in a few big studios? 
Yeah, that's actually a great question. It depends a lot on the publisher and what relationships they have and where they want to go. I have some say in things, but realistically, I have no say. <laughs> Unless it's like my own money, then it's I. Yeah, sure, I can do whatever I want. Right. But um, you know, for for Call of Duty and Destiny Two and um, something else, I'm forgetting right now. Uh, we recorded in Nashville, and that was an incredible oh cool experience. The group there is fantastic. They're uh, phenomenal players, amazing sight readers. And, uh, you know, working with Alan Umstead, who's their contractor, and um, their conductor is David Ships, and he also did orchestration for us on uh, both Destiny and uh, Call of Duty. And yeah, I, I love going there. The food is amazing. <laughs> it's like, it's so great. And the, you know, every, every section sounds brilliant there. And it's, it was such a great opportunity going back for a second time when we were doing uh, Destiny and we'd already done uh, two different sessions of Call of Duty. Uh, and, you know, seeing like familiar faces and friendly, you know, uh, all kinds of photos we're taking together and stuff, you know, it was, it was, it was so great. And yeah. um, uh, we've also recorded a lot at Skywalker, oh, cool. um, especially for the Star Wars, Star Wars scores. Uh, I believe Force Unleashed 1 and 2 were recorded there and half of the Old Republic was recorded there as well. Uh, London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road as well. I recorded my Star Wars First Assault score there, which was like 70 different dreams come true all at the same time. It was like... Yeah, sure. Um, unfortunately, you know, the game was never released, but it was still just such an amazing experience working with these players at such a great studio. And uh, for Mortal Kombat, uh, we recorded in um, Budapest. Uh, it was... Um, it was part of like a, a Dynamedian. Dynamedian's a German company, but they run the recording sessions there. Uh, and they sounded amazing as well. Uh, you know, Call of Duty Mobile we did in Vienna. And uh, mm -hmm. you can see the video of that recording on, online. You can see that they were also just phenomenal players. I and mean, I, feel, I feel so lucky that like I've been able to work with so many great orchestras you know, throughout the world because um, they've all just been so fantastic. Yeah. And uh, not only the the musicians, but is it important for you to, or or I guess more so, do you oftentimes coordinate with like the 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 game developers in terms of what sounds, or are you kind of off on your own in your own corner? Oh yeah, no, there's lots of back and forth. I mean, generally speaking, what a lot of studios like to do is long before they even think about recording with the orchestra, they want to hear what's called mockups where you're doing like a synthesizer sort of preview of what it's going to sound like uh, if you're when you're recording with the live orchestra um, so that they can review it and give their suggestions and, you know, revisions and kind of that whole revision cycle and iteration right. and whatnot. Sometimes they'll even put music into the game uh, just so that they can hear it in context. And obviously the quality is not as good as like a real orchestra, but um, it's good to have it as close as possible um, so that they can get a good sense of how it's going to sound. And uh, once once you have that, then eventually once things get approved, then you orchestrate and uh, you know do the parts and everything goes to the actual orchestra. But uh, there is quite a lot of back and forth, uh, generally speaking. Yeah. And now uh, talking about some of the, the other specific projects, so Mortal Kombat 11, which is the coolest game. I mean, it's <laughs> what's, what's not to like, 
what is it uh what is it like doing music for a game like that because it is of course a, a you know a fighting game and, and there's a mm. lot of different characters a lot of different possibilities with you know who you're fighting where you're at what is it like doing music for a game like that yeah so the way that worked actually was um i was the principal composer uh which meant that i did the main themes and all the like menu themes and whatnot and then the story mode there's like a three hour actually there's two different three hour campaigns so it felt like scoring like a movie trilogy it's just like so much content <laughs> yeah but then we had four uh composers uh writing the in-game music so during the actual fighting um the interactive score and that's that's a whole other separate thing that um i wasn't really too involved with but uh, interestingly enough they actually used some of my themes in their pieces which is always really cool to see yeah yeah um mortal kombat's an interesting fighting game in that it's never had character themes the reason being that the stages are usually based on the story and not on individual characters. Right. So like in, in Street Fighter, for instance, you can say Chun-Li's stage and, you know, a theme will pop up and then you think of that street corner with all the bicycles going. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, okay, it's Chun-Li's <laughs> stage. But um, MK never had that. We've always had a huge story, uh, but it's never been about like the one-to-one -one between story and characters. Um, for who knows what reason, but that's just the way it's done. And so what was interesting is that I was doing this story mode and the characters are at the center. And it's even more complicated because in MK11, you not only have the character in the present day, but you also have their past versions and they're all coming together. Sometimes the two are interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like one is alive, the other's dead, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And so one of the first decisions I made was this needs to be a leitmotivic game. We need to have themes for every single character, every single faction. They have to have something. If not a theme, then maybe a signature sound or something to identify this. Because otherwise the story is just going to be, you know, it's going to be so difficult to put it all together and make it flow um, naturally. And so, yeah, I mean, it was crazy because like, you know, Mortal Kombat was such a huge part of my childhood. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I was the biggest nerd, <laughs> just martial <laughs> arts geek, fanboy, whatever you want to call it. Watching like, you know, crappy TV shows like WMAC Masters, which is a reference no one gets, but I loved that show to death. And it actually had a lot of actors from the MK movie and the MK games, just like that oh, cool. martial arts actor universe. Um, really legit. I would watch that show religiously. I even watched the MK cartoon, the whole thing, the movie... <laughs> I was obsessed and it's so crazy to now a million years later be the guy who writes like Kitana's theme yeah. or, you know, like, like themes of Raiden's theme, you know, themes of these characters that I've known for like 20 years or however long it is. I mean, I just feel incredibly lucky that uh, I've had that opportunity. Yeah. With a game like that, that's, you know, has of course just a growing fan base and, uh, and similar to, to others as well. Do you find that when you're going in the, I don't know, the responsibility quote unquote of, you know, I guess loyalty and satisfaction to a fan base is in your mind or are you kind of zoned out from that? Are you just, this is a project I'm, I'm going to, you know, do my best on it. Yeah. I mean, I don't like to give myself credit for maturity because I'm about as immature as possible. Same. You're not seeing like, an adorable teddy bear off to the side nice. of the screen, but like I'm about as immature as it gets. Yeah. But 
I don't know, on, on Mortal Kombat and and uh, Call of Duty even, and especially even Star Wars, which is about as big a franchise as it gets, once you kind of get going, uh, you don't really think too much about the pressures of like, oh no, the fans aren't going to like this or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's more, because you know why, I think the reason why is because you're so laser focused on like, I just have to get this cue approved. The The audio director and music supervisor, whoever has to like it. Right. Um, so it could be that they're the ones who have to be working. But <laughs> yeah. For me, I'm like, well, you know, I have so much to worry about that it's just pulling that balancing act. I mean, yeah. I think the worst it's ever been was with Call of Duty. Um, hmm. Because, you know, every night I would think like, okay, this is a game that's going to be played by millions of people. And even worse, like the people who came before me writing Call of Duty scores are like literally the biggest names that exist <laughs> in, in film. Touring. Sure. It's it's all the Brian Tyler's, Hans Zimmer's, uh, Harry Gregson Williams is like that. Michael Giacchino, like every every big name has yeah. done a Call of Duty. It seems, <laughs> and so it's like, why are you hiring this random little black kid from Philadelphia to do this game that's going to be played by millions? Of, I mean, sure, I'll take it, but yeah, why know? not? <laughs> yeah, and so that was very very intimidating, but. Um, I think it was mostly because of the past uh, composers. It wasn't really as much about the um, the fan base or anything. Because I, I figured, well, the, the developers, they've done, what, I think three Call of Duty games at that point. Mm. So they know what they're doing. I'm not, I'm not worried so much about that. It's just like carrying on the legacy was, uh, I think, the more concerning thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very difficult to go up against the Hans Zimmers of the world. And actually, you know what? I remember now that you've you've allowed me to tangent so wildly. Yeah, no, yeah, no, please, man. It's, it's all good. I just remember that um, Dunkirk came out at about the same time as Call of Duty World War II. Yeah. And it was announced, I think, before... At some time while I was writing... I mean, I actually only had about five or six months to write that score, which was its own difficulty writing You know, that much music that was so very carefully uh, revised and, and mm. you know, so much supervision on that title. But uh, I just remember going to see Dunkirk in theaters the night before the recording session <laughs> in Nashville <laughs> and just thinking to myself, why do I hate myself so much that I'm <laughs> going to force myself to be like disappointed in my own, in my own work trying to compare against Honda. But thankfully he did something completely different than, than what right. I did on COD. So it wasn't a concern, but uh, yeah, Still, it was just such an intimidating, um, you know, going up against that whole Media Ventures remote control family. A lot of the composers from Call of Duty came out of that right. um, that studio. And uh, thankfully, they let me kind of do my own thing. They didn't want the electronic synthesis type sound, but they wanted something more traditional. And so I was like, okay, I can do that. Let's try it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, speaking of of Call of Duty World War Two, like I I personally have such a, a love of World War Two history, so that's kind of a mm. kind of game I, I cling to. Was it interesting nice. going into that era? Oh yeah, I mean you know it's funny. Like all throughout college, I loved the Michael Giacchino Medal of Honor and Call of Duty scores. Oh yeah, they're um, great. I think especially Medal of Honor Frontline was my favorite uh, game score. Well, Western game score for a long time, and. Uh, the really funny thing about it was like, you know, I keep sketchbooks, right? Mm-hmm. And I swear to you, I've written countless dozens of 
pieces of music and themes and action cues or whatever just sketched on paper just in case I ever get to do a Medal of Honor or Call of Duty game. Just in case. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I literally yeah. did that for years. And, um, you know, once I got this gig and I'm looking at it, it was like, okay, none of this is relevant at all. We're totally doing a completely different thing, much darker, grittier, more more heartfelt and realistic. So that was its own thing. But um, still, it was it was just so crazy, you know, going back to that era and that style of scoring. I think the funny thing about doing a historical fiction is that you have to kind of keep in mind that this is not any sort of fantasy. I mean, all right. the things I'd done up until then were fantasy, right? It wasn't right. any anything that actually happened. Whereas this is based on things that actually happened. And there's a level of respect and restraint that you need with that before, you know, if you, if you kind of go too far, then it just sounds almost sarcastic and disrespectful and you need mm -hmm. to find ways to make it still have all the emotion that you want, but um, kind of dance on that line of like, okay, we have to make the characters relatable, but we also have to make this satisfy the needs of a video game. It has to, you know, amp up the action or whatnot. And similarly, the type of story we were telling with Call of Duty World War II was that we wanted the characters to seem real and relatable, as if this could have happened yesterday. Right. Um, but at the same time, it was a historical piece. And so it was this extreme tightrope act of, okay, it can't sound too modern, but it also can't sound too historical. What does that translate to in terms of texture, instrumentation, harmony even, melody how do you how do you work that out and so that was a big part I, I would say that every game has a balance between like here's the music direction and then here is the uh, the actual implementation the writing of the score and normally it's like okay you know the writing is obviously you have to write two hours or whatever so that's like the hard part but in this case i swear it was the direction that was the hardest part and once mm -hmm. that was set um, I mean, writing the rest of the score was not easy, of course, but uh, <laughs> we definitely spend about a, a month just iterating on the main theme alone. And wow. once we had that, then that was sort of the template of of the rest of the score. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, and I wanted to tell you because this the score I have uh, the tracks a long way from Texas and then home. I have those in a, a score mm. playlist of mine that I, I listen to a lot, and I I, I love them because they. You know, that game, of course, there's a ton of action, but there are tracks like that that are then they kind of flip a 180 and they're very mm. quiet and very reflective. And it kind of gives you the 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 heart uh, yeah. and, you know, and that nice back and forth. Absolutely. I mean, I was I was so happy when I saw in my little spreadsheet they gave me and they they allowed me to have some emotion with it. I remember uh, it was at. I think the second recording session and the music supervisor had invited his little friend. He's like, Hey, come on in. You know, we're doing an orchestra session, call of duty, walk in. And we were recording that piece. We were recording home with the, I think violin solo or something like that. And, Oh no, actually it was Berga. I think it was Berga with the very simple orchestration and viola solo. Uh, one, one of the two. And I remember him walking in sheepishly, and just being like, is this the right session? <laughs> I thought we were here for Call of Duty. Where's the big Taiko drums? Where's the, you know, what's this violin crap, you know? Right. But I mean, it was, it was such a, it was such a great opportunity. I mean, you, 
it's so it's so hard to find spaces like that, especially in modern games where it's all about the slick action and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one of the things that makes Call of Duty World War Two unique is that because of the setting, we're kind of allowed to explore the emotion a lot more than if it were just some made up story, then it would almost seem kind of cheesy. But like here, it's like, well, this this happened. This is a real conflict. So in a way, we're given a little bit more allowance to be earnest. We don't have to be as, um, you know, we don't have to hold hold our cards like you normally do in, in, in most scoring. Yeah. And are you like with a game like that, are you seeing um, like footage of the game mm. during the process or is it more so you're like away from it and then it's put into the game afterwards? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. At, at the very beginning, I, I just didn't get anything at all because um, just Activision takes a little while to set that up. And right. again, we only had however many months for me to score it. Eventually, I would get some gameplay uh, playthroughs of the levels, uh, but that was actually much, much later. It wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd pretty much finished like half the score by the time I saw like very much in-game uh, videos that I could, you know, take a look at. Um, I know a lot of people who who are more film composers than game composers. They like to see a level and then they literally like score to it as if it were a film. That's never really worked terribly well for me personally because it's not edited like a film. So I don't really understand how that's helpful. But um, I normally just think more in the perspective of like, well, as a gamer, which I am, what would I like to hear? Um, and I kind of just go from there and write through composed pieces based on that. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting ways that that score works out is I didn't write music specifically for levels, but instead it was based on concepts. So the, the music team would tell me things like, hey, write a piece of action music, you know, this, let's say like medium intensity and the first half, make it sound like it's urban combat outdoors. And then the second half, make it sound like urban combat indoors, like in a destroyed mm -hmm church or something right and uh so yeah i would i would write with that in mind almost like a through composed uh it's almost like a like an art art music piece or piece of concert music where i'm just like here's the concept it's like programmatic but i'm not necessarily trying to score to any linear picture or anything it's just like freely write you know whatever mm -hmm. uh for three minutes or however many it was yeah and uh once I was finished that and everything was revised and approved and everything, uh, I would deliver it in stems, uh, rather deeply stemmed, uh, meaning that like the, the strings are on a different file than the brass and, and the percussion. Everything is like separated up. And the team over at Sony PlayStation, they're the music uh, team for this game. Uh, they would then take that and they would be able to edit it to create all of the in-game loops and action music and whatnot. Uh, based off of the stems of this one large cube. Gotcha. Um, and that's actually a very efficient way that uh, they do, I think, pretty much all of their scores. So I'm not writing like, here's my um, Germany Aachen action loop number three, but instead I'm writing a more conceptual piece. And then they're taking bits and bobs from that to create a um, whatever they need for in-game. Yeah. That's yeah, and, that, and that's cool because I mean, uh, playing the games, it, it's always so interesting to think about how did this music get into this scene, you know? And so it's it's kind of yeah. cool to hear it, yeah, kind of unpacked a little bit. 
And also one thing I wanted to ask you about is this uh, Vader Immortal. Oh, yes. Yeah. This this, uh, this VR series. What, what What's that all about? Because I feel like that would be really cool to be a part of. Yeah, it was... Uh it was it was a really interesting project, which unfortunately I had to do it at the exact same time as Mortal Kombat. In fact, oh. they had the same exact deadline. Not oh, really? about it. the same day, Monday. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I had to turn in both. And it's like, oh great, <laughs> yeah, cool. cram time. Yeah, oh, but um, no, it was a really fun one. Like, um, so the way that happened was the audio lead, I guess, or you know, one of the senior audio people on that project was a. A co-worker of mine back when I worked at LucasArts uh, on on Star Wars First Assault. He was our sound designer for that and just one of the most absurdly brilliant sound designers I've ever, ever worked with. It's kind of annoying, but like, <laughs> it's just so good. It's like... How good is, yeah. It's... Oh my gosh. But um, anyway, so uh, he was put in charge of this game and he reached out to me. He's like, hey, let's meet up. GDC, you know, come on over. Game Developers Conference is in San Francisco and so is there... Uh, office at Lucasfilm. So I just kind of hopped on a taxi and went over and checked out. Well, at the beginning of the week, I, I had some meetings where the director explained the story to me. And um, then at the end of the week, I came back to check it out in VR. And it was interesting. I, I had my first VR freak out. It turns out I can't handle characters in VR. Mm. Mm. Anything I can jump off a building. I can do anything with like space, but as soon as any character is within, let's say, ten feet of me, I completely freak out. So you got to imagine: here's me trying to impress <laughs> potential clients. Oh boy! And yeah. I literally am on the. I, I'm not kidding. You can ask Paul on the floor, <laughs> like crying, like turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, <laughs> and like a friendly robot companion mm. that came just a little bit too close too close so they, they had to physically remove the vr from it was awful mm. but uh you know I, I nonetheless aside from that i mean i saw the project it was so far ahead of anything that i'd ever seen um done in vr before it was extremely uh cinematic i mean they got you know the the what was it ben snow you know this the the best minds at ilm to put this together and uh, it just it just turned out incredibly well. It's such a great story. The acting was phenomenal, and uh, um, you know, obviously, uh, Kevin and Paul did such a great job with the sound design, and I tried my best with the music. Uh, it was an interesting project because the way that I structured it, I said, okay, I want it to sound very much like the films because it's it's film characters. It's mm -hmm. it's Darth Vader, you know, but because of certain licensing, whatever things, I wasn't allowed to use any of John Williams's musical themes. Mm. So I kind of had to write my own take on what a force theme might be in this context or what a uh, imperial theme might be in this context. And then we had the new planet. Um, well, the planet isn't new, it's Mustafar, but uh, the Corvaxian uh, civilization. So I wanted a theme for that. And, you know, the, the game took a long time to kind of come together. So I had quite a lengthy gestation period where I didn't really have to write anything. It was just like, well, just think about the game. Hmm. And I swear the entire summer and fall, I was just uh, racking my mind about like, what am I going to do about a theme for this civilization? I don't understand. Like it, it, it's not coming together. Like the pieces aren't, you know, whatever until one day, probably in the shower, it finally clicked this is a love story. The whole thing is just a love story. And the entire reason why this, uh, I don't want to 
get too much spoilery, but like yeah. something bad happens to the Corvaxian civilization, which is why Mustafar is the planet we know now, this volcanic hellhole. Yeah. And uh, the reason that happened again was a love story. So I kind of just decided to pivot from trying to do anything epic or even Star Warsy, and I just wrote a tragic love theme. And that basically is the Corvaxian theme. And then once I had that, all of the pieces came back together. Gotcha. Um, most of the music is still rather um, strongly rooted in, I think, especially original trilogy sound of John Williams. But as soon as you kind of cross that point in the story to being more about Corvax, then it, it takes on a new character. There's that sort of flashback scene, and that's like a completely different um, sound from the rest of the game but it's based on this theme and everything kind of revolves around that Caraxian theme. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a really fun, fun one. And it was actually great. Cause like, because I was doing Mortal Kombat at the same time, it would usually be okay. Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat for the week. And then the weekends I'll do a little star Wars, get as far as I can right. back to MK star Wars, <laughs> MK star Wars. And it was, it was a great palate cleanser. I mean, MK was all about, uh, I mean, yeah, there's orchestra in Mortal Kombat, obviously, but it was more about uh, the synthesizers, the hardware, and the world instruments, um, and these really gargantuan arrangements that have all of these things playing off of each other. Um, very complicated production. And then Star Wars was, with some exception with the Corvaxium stuff, it was just the orchestra. So it was like, we can just focus on this. It almost felt like, okay, just relax <laughs> sit back relax it's just yeah. orchestra just have fun just oh. okay and then back to mortal Kombat, where i got to figure out how to do all this crazy ultra modern you know slick synthesizer stuff yeah it was, it was a weird one but uh, i i'm very glad that i got the opportunity to work on both projects yeah for sure uh, well, I, since you, you know, you've, you've talked about being a gamer, have there been some games, you know, recently that you've been enjoying playing or have you mostly just been, been busy with work? Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my top game this year, uh, coming as no surprise to anyone is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, sure. Um, it, it was just, I mean, it's, it just felt magical, Especially, I think, towards the middle of the game, you know, you're meeting Aerith and going around with her and the music is unbelievably cool throughout the whole game, but especially in those like chapter eight or nine or something like that. Um, I mean, I, I was just floored in every single way by that game. The graphics are incredible, the animation, the dialogue, all of the systems. It, it just it's, it's just phenomenal from both the creative and technical perspective yeah. um, in ways that I, I just didn't. I just didn't see it coming. I mean, I, I played Final Fantasy fifteen, and I really loved the characters in that one and the open world aspect. But it just seemed like it was its own thing. It didn't like it was Final Fantasy, of course, but it seemed like eh, you're doing their own thing. And it never occurred to me that they could ever take that kind of like very modern production and bring it into something like FF seven, which is such classic FF, and make it work. I mean, it was right. it was the same kind of shock as when I first saw the Avengers movies and I thought, you know, like there's no way you can have Captain America and Thor in the same movie, <laughs> yeah. but it worked it, somehow. And the Hulk, he's in the same movie too. Somehow it worked. They brought them all together and it worked. It's, it was that same feeling of like, I'm just so impressed that it all came together so well. And then I guess my second favorite this year was ghosts of Tsushima, which is, uh, you know, it's PlayStation exclusive and it's set in, um, I think 
pre-feudal Japan. It was during the Mongol invasion. And I, I once again, uh, brilliant on both the technical and creative level. I think that it's such a, I mean, the, the Japanese press is all over it. It's an American game, actually developed right here in Seattle. Oh, cool. But, um, you know, I think Famitsu gave it a perfect score, which I'm not even sure they've ever done for a Western game before. But um, it was just such a great story. The characters, the music was really well done, um, recorded in like three different continents. I mean, they, oh, cool. they spared absolutely no expense with that score at all. And just everything about it came together in this brilliant way. Gameplay was fantastic as well. Yeah, I mean, this this honestly has been a phenomenal year for games. Uh, yeah. Uh, it needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. Nowhere else to be. <laughs> exactly, dude, yeah. Well, well, I mean, I, I know we could talk for a long time. Is there anything else about, you know, your work that in particular that I haven't brought up that you'd like to come, uh, bring up? I mean, I know you have some stuff that you can't, you can't talk about just yet, but is there anything else in particular you'd like to discuss? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, uh, th I give this pitch every time because I feel like this game is taking forever to work to come <laughs> out, but I'm working on an indie uh, 2.5D Metroidvania title called Ooh. A New The Distant Light. Nice. And uh, it's one of the most gorgeous and extremely unique art styles that I've ever worked with. Mm. Um, it's got a great story, but the story is told with no dialogue whatsoever. It's all environmental storytelling. And it's a tiny, like, two-person dev team. <laughs> I think they've been working on it since, like, 2014. They hired wow. me right after I did Lara Croft. Temple of Osiris. So basically, my entire <laughs> freelance post Lucas career, I've been chipping away at this game. Um, I'm literally today writing the end boss theme. And just to show just how long <laughs> this project has been going on. But what I love about working on the project is that the art, well, I mean, it's weird to say art director, because there's only two people working on the whole game. But like, let's say the project lead, uh, he, he came to me, you know, he said, Hey, this is the game we're doing. And we don't want the typical video game cinematic Hollywood sound at all. Instead, he showed me all of this um, 20th century art music, like John Adams and Bartok and Ratavara uh, and, and Debussy and, and all of this um, very modernist um, concert music, basically. And that's, that was what we're after in terms of the sound. And so I kind of heard that and I was like, okay, well... Why did he want that as opposed to a more traditional romantic kind of score? And it occurred to me, this game takes place on an alien planet. Um, you eventually find out that there's already civilization there. And it's almost unrecognizable, but it totally makes sense internally. What better way than to embrace very challenging music of the 20th century where modernism, uh, the modernist and postmodernist eras, where, yeah, it sounds very weird, but it internally has its own logic that just works. Um, and so that's always been my aesthetic goal with the music. I kind of married that sound with um, a little bit of, of Debussy kind of um, impressionism and then a lot of like hardware analog synthesizer nice. um, with the mentality of, I don't want anything modern synth, but more like vintage, like 1970s, late seventies type synthesis. Right. Put that all kind of together and, um, just sort of see what happens. Uh, and it's been an amazing, amazing experience so far uh, scoring this. I can't wait for people to play the game because the music is astronomically weird. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's They literally told me just all the stuff that you would never be allowed to write on a AAA game. That's what we want. 
Yeah. And so I'm like, well, you said that. So <laughs> here we go. Yeah. You know, doors are off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The gloves, the gloves Go, definitely yeah. came off for the piece I'm writing now. So uh, we'll see if that all works out. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, well, man, I mean, uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It's been great talking to you. You're welcome back yeah. whenever you'd like. If you got another project coming up, we can, you know, figure something out maybe. Yeah, um, if a new ever releases ever, then yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's supposed to be this year. I mean, or sometime yeah. soon, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, man, uh, yeah, thank you, and and you know, just you know, please stay safe. You know, take care, and I hope. Let's hope twenty twenty one is uh, <laughs> it goes okay. You know, this will be our year. Trust us. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, all right, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right, everybody. I think that is about it for the show this week. Please rate, review, subscribe. Thank you so much. Check out themusicbuds.com. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And we'll see you next time.